0: Welcome to Cinematic Doctrine, a spoiler free Christian movie podcast where we sit at the table of cinema and eat. Tonight we'll be dining on Chad Stahelski's John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum. Starring Keanu Reeves as the titular John Wick, Chapter 3 has successfully become the official Avengers killer, staking its claim for the number one box office slot this weekend. Crazy to think some enraged dog lover was able to take out the Avengers, but Thanos couldn't. <coughs> But you know what, I'd be wishing good luck to anyone that put themselves in the way of John Wick. The man is a monster. A bona fide Baba Yaga, if I ever saw one, and vastly more frightening than the Baba Yaga featured in this year's Hellboy, so... Ayo! Look, I don't really have anything to say for this introduction, and I also don't want to spoil John Wick 2 with my description of John Wick 3, so let's jump into about as much as I can explain without giving away the plot to a really, really great film. Like John Wick 2, Chapter 3 picks up immediately after the previous film, and Wick is on the run. Everyone's out to get him, and it's up to him not only to find safety but succeed in getting a target off his head. Amidst his ventures, he seeks the aid of old friends, and struggles to find rest as he adventures across the world to save his own life. (sighs) That wasn't so bad, was it? This film is rated R for pervasive strong violence and some language. I mean, how do I describe the absolute plethora of violence in a John Wick film? Let's just make it simple for you. It's friggin' ridiculous. Absolute madness. And John Wick chapter 3 takes things way up. The bulk of the violence is from guns and is often non-graphic, but this one introduces what is described as weapons of opportunity. In other words, Wick will use anything possible to subdue his enemy, be it a book on a shelf or a horse's kick. Despite this, the violence is shocking, but not visceral, and the certificate is accurate in saying there isn't any gore, just pervasive, strong violence. There's perhaps one moment that's a little shocking that could be constituted as gore regarding a ballerina, but it's not a violent act, it's just surprising. And the language? Well, yeah, there's a fair amount, but there's barely any time for talking in this film because of all the violence anyway. So anyways, John Wick 3, let me give you some personal background. Saturday morning, I wake up in Boston after my sister's graduation. She'd just received her master's, and we're planning to take our five-hour drive back home to Pennsylvania, where I live, when we realize we're not going to be able to see John Wick 3 together. Now, we had planned to try and squeeze it in this weekend, because both of us really enjoy the series, and my sister had moved to D.C., where she would be going afterward, and she was lamenting that there are only art house theaters in D.C., which honestly isn't a bad thing, but it just meant it was going to be difficult for her to go see it. But also, we wanted to have some fun on this trip, and although we did have a lot of fun in Boston, we just wanted to see the film together. So we tried to make time. But unfortunately, it didn't seem like it was going to happen. Flash forward five hours in the back of a Toyota Avalon, my wife, my sister, and I are all crammed back there, and we realized there may still be a chance to go see John Wick 3, but the only economical time was a 7pm 40x showing at Regal down the road. Not only were we physically tired, there was a real sensory overload from the blasting music or audiobook, the constant motion of the car, and simply being shoulder to shoulder for so long as my parents were in the front seat. And our smart idea was to get even more stimulated by the 4DX experience. Basically, a 4DX showing has motion seats akin to something you'd see at a theme park, along with water effects, wind blowing, smoke, the whole nine yards. It's all about immersion. And when you're paying $21 for a ticket, you better be getting the works. But man, what a miserable start to the experience. 4DX has their own demo they play before a movie, and it's the most over-the-top nonsense in the world. Immediately, I'm questioning my choices and uttering, this is going to be the worst theater experience of my life. And that's a little over a month after seeing Hellboy. So my expectations are low, my body is weak, and I'm ready to persevere through two hours of constant motion and sensory stimulation because I love movies and I don't know when to say enough is enough. Also, I love my sister and I want to be able to catch the movie with her. Yeah, that wasn't in the script. Sorry, Cheryl. At least you got a cool shout-out, though. Yay! Anyways, back at it. Apart from a headache, tired body, and wanting nothing more than to succumb to the sweet siren call of rest, I think I had a good time maybe in all honesty it took a day or two to really get out of that funk and it wasn't until about monday i began to realize that on saturday evening may 18th 2019 i saw a movie called john wick chapter 3 parabellum the film came to me like the afterthoughts of a hangover flowing into my brain like bits and pieces of some dream i forgot i had a strange experience to say the least but not the strangest 2019 is a wild year the gift that keeps on giving But I realized this wasn't happening because of my experience. It wasn't coming back to me like a dream. The film was a dream, and it's shot with such an interesting sense of style that checks out at the door of reality. This is evident from the first scene onward. John Wick 3 takes place immediately after 2, and if you've seen 2, you know it's broad daylight at the end of the film. Yet 3 begins with pouring rain in the late evening. Locales of New York are interspersed and illogical as Chinatown districts transforms into complex segments of ancient artwork and collected weaponry, which is, you know, very convenient, while then transferring Wick to a horse stable so he can traverse to some Elizabethan apothecary. And if that sounds otherworldly, we haven't even talked about how he's out in the Sahara Desert wearing a tailored suit for an entire segment of the film. This can be jarring for some, and I've already seen some people find it a little bit much and hard to take seriously as though logic is thrown right out the window, but I'm of a different perspective. John Wick isn't a film about logic, as it has a fantastical sense to its world and characters. It's rich with lore and history that we only ever get to see the surface of, and I think that works to its advantage. Well, in some cases it works to its advantage. During the first two films, and especially with the initial film, this works incredibly well, but I don't think so with Chapter 3, and a lot of that has to do with the meat of it. I've used that term a lot with my wife in describing this film as the two of us talk about it, that the meat of Chapter 3 simply pales in comparison to 1 and 2. To clarify, the meat of John Wick is essentially the story, or as can best be described, Everything that an unadulterated martial arts and gunplay. It's the context for the action, the thing that makes us care about what's going on. The first film is simple, and I think we can all really connect with it. Russian punks killed John Wick's dog, the same dog his recently deceased wife purchased for him to remind him that not all things that are beautiful are lost. Color me impressed if you don't find yourself sympathizing with his revenge. And the second film leans heavily on establishing the lore of the first film, expanding on certain laws among these assassins and mercenaries, a code, if you will, that they adhere to and seek to respect among each other because rules are what separate them from animals, they say. Meanwhile, Wick is trying everything he can to return to his retirement, and finally, once and for all, turn his back on his old ways. In Chapter 3, the story in a comparative sense really lacks both the initial compassion for Wick in one, as well as the sense of chaotic order in two. And that's a brief way of describing what makes 1 and 2 so great, but the point is that each film draws you in to care about each fight in a way that isn't just, Wow, this is a real visual treat! Because, let's be real, they really are a visual treat. Jonathan Sela did a wonderful job in shooting the first film, and Dan Lauston, if I get that correctly, continued that excellence with both 2 and 3. But a film is far more than visuals. It must have substance. Now I might come under some flack for this, as I'm a huge fan of Panos Kuzmatos. His freshman film, Beyond the Black Rainbow, has grown on me in ways I never expected and don't even get me started on Mandy. That's one of my all-time favorite movies right now, and both Black Rainbow and Mandy are overwhelmingly visual. Yet both films seem to have a real sense of substance with their visuals, albeit one is abstract and the other is off-the-wall psycho bonkers. But John Wick Chapter 3 seems more concerned with its fight scenes rather than the meat behind them, and I think that's apparent with the incredibly high body count of the film. I mean, it's just insane, and at some point what you're seeing on screen comes down to John Wick fighting animated meat sacks that know a whole lot of martial arts. I'm making it sound like I didn't like the film, but that's not true. I did like Chapter 3, but I don't think I liked it as much as 1 or 2, so how can I convince you that despite being less meaty than the previous films, it's still a good film? First off, these films are so closely knit that they essentially function as one experience. Whenever this franchise ends, and lord knows I hope it keeps going with such success, binging these films in a single sitting, although absurd and borderline masochistic with how sensory they are, would flow really well. As mentioned before, the films start and end next to each other, and they not only pick up narratively one after another, but also tonally. Both sequels almost act as a resolution or post-climax style scene, That helps to knit the films together, and I've always found that a really great way to run a film franchise. And in regards to Chapter 3, let's look at the choreography. It's like nothing you've ever seen before. I mean, I could say that about every John Wick film, but I'm putting my foot down when I say, It's like nothing you've ever seen before. Sure. There's some connective tissue to influences, like the aforementioned weapons of opportunity. Whatever means necessary, John Wick will do what he can to survive, and if that means using the environment to his advantage, he will. That's the sort of thing we've seen in plenty of Jackie Chan films, and even the level of complexity in certain sequences is like something from The Raid. But combining all that within the dream world of New York as John Wick rides a motorcycle fending off ninjas on their own motorcycles, who, by the way, are swinging their swords like madmen must be seen to be believed. This creativity comes from not only Chad Stahelski, but Keanu Reeves as well, as the two have, in a sense, turned the John Wick property into a giant what-if-we-did-X sort of thing. In fact, it'd be a lot of fun to watch Chapter 3 with a chart featuring Stahelski's name on one side and Reeves on the other, and marking which scene was proposed by whom. Now, I know Wick riding a horse and walking in a desert with a suit was from Reeves, and Stahowski apparently loves ninjas, so that's a good place to start. And what's even cooler to think about is, a lot of what one might consider deeply complex choreography is oftentimes Reeve approaching his partner and the two going, okay, I know these 38 different kind of throws, and you know those 43, why don't we try out these ones and see if they look good? And the two duke it out until the team decides what's best. And other times, Reeves said he would learn choreography in a single day prior to the shoot, either due to it officially being finalized or just scheduling. That alone should impress anyone when they watch this film, because it looks as complex as a world-class ballet. And it's funny to think it's just the creative work of two to four sweaty men going, Oh, snap, that looks awesome! Yet despite this fun sensibility, I do think Chapter 3 is probably the most difficult of the films to watch, And I don't mean that visually it's a hard film to watch, but the violence seemed a lot more aggressive, and that's made worse when the meat of the film is lacking. The very first fight scene sets a tone of brutality that reminds me of something talked about years ago with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Now, Marvel is nowhere near as violent or aggressive as John Wick ever was on a good day, but there were talks of Marvel movies growing up with their audience, That, over time, they would mature knowing that those who watched the films as children were now adults and could entertain complex subjects and difficult themes in ways they couldn't at a younger age. Which, I'll admit, is a pretty cool way of writing fiction. I think the idea of a story growing with its audience is really fascinating in a theoretical sense, and I think you can see it succeeded in Marvel with the release of the Guardian of the Galaxy films, Captain America Civil War, Infinity War. Or even jumping to another franchise, just look at Harry Potter. You could even go back to Middle-earth and see how The Hobbit is very much a children's story, while Lord of the Rings reads much more like an epic. The first John Wick released in 2014, and although it's been a little over four years since then, I think this mentality was borrowed in the execution of the movie's, well, executions. I think this is attributed to the weapons of opportunity, as some of the more visceral kills are made possible because of these makeshift weapons. But with violence, and there being so much of it, I do find myself wondering what value there is in maturing the violence as opposed to maturing, say, the meat of the film. It's like choosing between a savory seasoned filet mignon or serving a bigger cut of meat that's like 80% fat. I can't help but think Chapter 3 went with the latter, so fundamentally I'm not really sure how I should feel. Part of it could be the overabundance of violence in the film, as I've mentioned countless times so far. I know that that was one issue I had with Hellboy, among other things, but in comparison, John Wick Chapter 3 is vastly less graphic than Hellboy ever was. And then I think about John Wick as a whole, the idea that it's this franchise about a man who was out of the business of murder, drawn back in by an overpowering demand for justice over the ruthless killing of his dog. I think about how Wick, having succeeded in putting all that murder and hatred behind him once, is now struggling to do it again. A part of me wonders if, as these films mature, if we're essentially watching as Wick is drawn further and further into a world he hates so much, yet also a world of his own making, a world where he's losing more and more as he descends back into the rabbit hole and fends off madness at every turn in the hopes of keeping the memory of his wife alive, the very memory that was killed with a whimper not a few weeks prior to the events of this film. I then think about how simple it is for me to turn away from some of my own sins and think to myself, I'm done with these. They have been nothing but destructive in my life, and I'm never doing them again, only to be confronted with immense difficulty in my life soon after, where I then go, if only I could do X, I would feel so much better, I would be able to relax or unwind, then I'm back at it again relapsing into the same old routine I was before, and in some cases, committing to even worse acts than I suspected I was capable. Maybe I'm angrier than ever, lazier than ever, pouring a glass too high. It's so simple to crawl back in and take control, as though I have an idea what I'm doing or taking control even looks like. Which, by the way, I don't. And thank goodness for Christ, because sanctification can be one heck of a trip. With that said, there may be a part of these films that has that sort of awareness, as though it's painting a picture of a man who rejects the evil in his life, then finds out he can't escape his condition. And so the choice to mature these movies is to show the increasing depravity with which the world becomes surrounding John Wick. Which, if that's one of the reasons for having such hyperviolence, that synergizes well with the dreamy, unraveling visual logic of this film, as it helps to propagate a sense of John Wick losing his grip on reality. Thinking of it this way, I'm reminded of a line from the first John Wick film where John and Winston, the manager of the Continental, a criminally owned hotel, are talking as John tries to find out information, and Winston says to John, Have you thought this through? I mean, chewed it down to the bone. You got out once. You so much as put a pinky back into this pond, you may well find something reaches out and drags you back into its depths that's a perfect picture of the kind of story being told, and if Derek Kolstad, the writer for all three John Wick films, is tailoring the story in this manner, then more power to him. But I think the what-if-we-did-X mentality of Stahelski and Reeves may be getting in the way of that, as the concepts for certain action sequences were brainstormed far before the script was ever written. And that really mars any theories regarding some sort of tailored relationship between John Wick's descent into his murderous past and the visual tone of the film. Stahelski would call up his martial arts buddies amidst inspiration and go, yo I got this great idea but is it even possible? In other words, Kolstadt had to tie sequences together in a way that makes logical sense, which isn't as bad as the hack job of Transformers 2 Revenge of the Fallen where Michael Bay literally worked on its action sequences before a script was finalized due to the writer's strike of 2007. Although things didn't get nearly that desperate for John Wick Chapter 3, it still doesn't help that the metaphor that could have been carried from the first film seems to be getting lost behind the highly stylistic violence. And when it gets right down to it, I'm not sure what to feel about that. I almost find it a bit ironic that the films would lose their meat to the easy-to-digest visual treat that is flashing neon lights and proper framing, but at the very least the films are exactly that. Visual treats, like I said, and it's neat to think that both Stahelski and Reeves are eager to continue the venture, what with confirmation of a new John Wick film already making headway around the internet. And you know what? 2021 can't come soon enough. And with that, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Cinematic Doctrine. If you saw John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum, did you find the adjudicator as annoying as I did? Boy, I really dislike that kind of character. Everything about them was an absolute bore. Or maybe you were too busy enjoying the absolute craziness of Halle Berry fighting alongside her dogs. Talk about awesome. Either way, feel free to share your thoughts on Cinematic Doctrine's new website. (gasps) Did you just say new website? Oh yes I did, and you can go right now to cinematicdoctrine.com and view all episodes of Cinematic Doctrine, as well as leave comments below where I'll be sure to reply. From there, you can find all links to my social media outlets to keep up to date with Cinematic Doctrine, as well as know why I'm behind on releasing my episodes. My bad. Next week, I'll be covering David Bright Brightburn. Until then, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck! We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters, perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk, so get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.